right, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see you this morning. I hope you have your Bible, and you'll turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Uh, at least that's where we're going to start today. Last week, we kicked off our Advent sermon series. I told you that we're taking a break from our normal exposition. Uh, in fact, our study of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to take a break from that for a topical snack. Uh, I spent some time talking about the, the, the snack last week. And I was out of the office all of this week. And when I came back in this morning, there's a huge box of, of Little Debbie Christmas tree snack cakes uh, on my desk. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how those got there uh, or who brought, who brought them, but I'm thinking if I mention things from the pulpit and they appear on my desk the next week, I'll start mentioning things like that more, more often. Um, I'm, I'm super, maybe even bigger things than that, um, right? Um, anyway, so we're going to take a break. Do a topical snack. The idea of Advent is to help us build some excitement, some anticipation of our celebration of the incarnation, right? That's what Advent is designed to do. Um, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, this year during Advent, we're trying to consider the mission of Christmas. Um, that's what that graphic is about, the mission of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? For whom did Jesus come? We're going to spend a couple of weeks on that starting today. And then on Christmas Eve, we will consider Will the mission succeed? Like, do we have confidence that he will accomplish and do what he came to do? And the answer to that is yes. We have every reason to have confidence that he will accomplish the mission for which he came. Each, each week in Advent, we're going to root ourselves in a Christmas text. Today is going to be Matthew chapter 2, the story about the wise men in particular. Um, we'll root ourselves in a Christmas text, but we're also going to consider other passages uh, to show us that these are not just Christmas truths that we're talking about, but rather major themes that run all throughout the scriptures. And each week we're, we're going to try to zoom out from the Christmas story to get the whole picture, not just of Jesus' birth, uh, but also of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension even, and his promised return. We're going to try to see all of that uh, from the Bible. We're going to try to sing about all of that as we sing songs. Those are the best Christmas songs that get the whole story. As we considered last week why Jesus came, we camped out in Matthew chapter 1, particularly verse 21, where the angel tells Joseph this, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. That's the mission, right? To save his people from their sins. That is the mission. The method by which he will do that by which he saves his people from their sins is by giving his life as a sacrifice and rising from the dead in victory. The mission, he will save. The method, he will die. And then the mandate for us that this creates is that we will be sent out with the message of salvation through Jesus to the ends of the earth, right? We looked at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 there at the end. So we see the mission, he will save his people from their sins. The method, he will give his life as a sacrifice. And then the mandate, he will send us out with a message. And the application was, the whole world at this time of year is asking, what does Christmas really mean? What is the true meaning of Christmas? What is this all about? And we have the answer to that question. Songs are asking that question. Movies are asking that question. Coworkers and friends are asking that question. And so I told you last week, tell them. Tell them why he came, that he came to save his people from their sins. And in order to do that, we're gonna have to be focused on that ourselves. We're going to have to be zoomed in to the Lord Jesus Christ during this season ourselves. And so I suggested doing an Advent reading plan. I suggested dedicating this time to special prayer. 
Maybe praying for the lost people in your lives. Maybe praying for missionaries who are taking the gospel to the nations. Spend some dedicated time in prayer during Advent. I encourage you to be here for the special gatherings that we have around Christmas time. We do a bunch of good stuff around Christmas time. Don't neglect gathering together, especially during this season. And then I encourage you also to be constantly assessing, why do you do the things that you do? Why do you buy presents for people? Why do you put lights on your house? Why do you fix fancy food and invite people over for dinner? Why do you do these things? Be connecting the dots to the truths of the gospel this Christmas in everything that you do. Well, this week, we're going to start to consider for whom Jesus came. And the answer is not what we might expect. The answer is certainly not what first century Jewish people were expecting. Remember last week in the text, we learned that Jesus came to save his people from their sins, which begs the question, who are his people? And last week I said, from a human perspective, his people are those who repent and believe in Jesus, right? That's who his people are. And so I invited you then to repent and believe in Jesus. Now I invite you now, repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Be saved, be one of his people. From a human perspective, his people are those who repent and believe. From a divine perspective, they are those who were chosen before the foundation of the world. So repent and believe. So repent and believe today. First century Jewish people would have said, who are his people? Who are Yahweh's people? They are the descendants of Abraham. That's the way everyone around Jesus would have answered that question. Who are Yahweh's people? They are those who can trace their lineage back to Abraham. But what I hope to show you today is that from the very earliest days after Jesus' birth, in fact, long before his birth, God is showing us in his word that Jesus would come for all kinds of people. All kinds of people, including those who are far away. Including those who are outsiders, not descendants of Abraham, but Gentiles. Jesus came for all kinds of people, especially those who are far away. That's what we're going to see in the text today. And we see it with the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. So read with me, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 2. This is God's word. It's not Sally Lloyd-Jones telling a story about it. This is God's word. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which had been in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to see that you sent 
your son Jesus, not just for those who are near, not just for those who are close, not just for the descendants of Abraham, but you sent your son Jesus to save those who are far off, who are far away, who are outsiders, the Gentiles even, like us even. Help us to see that today from your word. Help us to rejoice that you came for folks like us and help us to go to the far places on the earth with the message of hope and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name, amen. So in the text, in Matthew chapter two, are you already done? So Pastor Joe went and preached in Ridgeway this morning at another church and he's back. As a short preach, don't, don't let that set your expectations for today. <laughs> We're not gonna get out and back that quick today. In Matthew chapter 2, in the story of the Magi, we see that among the very first people to worship the newborn king are three men who are not from Jesus' neighborhood at all. They are, in fact, from a long way away. They come from a long way to worship this child. So who are the Magi? It's one of the questions I want to answer today. I have a good friend. We have a good friend who would make a strong argument that the Magi were Kurdish people. So this passage is always being shared by this friend of ours this time of year, showing the people where he lives and works among for the IMB, um, who benefit from the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that they, the Kurds, were among the very first worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most scholars would not be so specific about a, a people group, but they will note that these magi, these wise men, were from Persia which is modern-day Iran, which is where many Kurdish people live today. That means that they traveled almost a 1,000 miles to Jerusalem to see this newborn king that they were familiar with. They probably had this familiarity because of God's word that was brought to them in the exile to Babylon by Daniel and his friends when they spent some time there in captivity. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 9. So Magi were from Iran. They had some familiarity with God's word because of Daniel and his friends. And they were astrologers who tried to determine events and meanings from various arrangements and alignments of stars and planets. And let me just stop here and say that if you plan on being here Wednesday night for the Christmas quiz, you should pay careful attention today. In fact, you should have been paying careful attention for the last five minutes because that answered three questions that are going to appear on the quiz uh, that you will take Wednesday night. One scholar notes a few things we learn about the Magi from the text we just read. Number one, they read and believed God's word. They somehow had familiarity that a king was coming and there would be a sign of this king that would be determined. Number two, they sought Jesus. They sought after Jesus. They went to great lengths to find this child, right? They traveled a thousand miles, roughly, in order to see him. They sought after Jesus. Number three, they recognized the worth of Christ. Did you see in the text the gifts that they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are not inexpensive things. These are not trinkets from the Dollar Tree. These are the most expensive gifts that one could give to anyone. Number four, they humbled themselves to worship Jesus. Sometimes in our songs and in our art, we refer to these as three kings, right? Three kings. But what we see when they arrive at the house and find Jesus, they bow themselves before him, right? They bow down and they worship him. And then the fifth thing that this scholar points out 
is that they obey God rather than man. That's an important thing and a little detail that might be over, overlooked because Herod, the king of the area that they've traveled to to meet this newborn king, he says, go and find him and come back and report to me where he is so that I can go and worship him as well. Is that what Herod wants to do? No, he wants to go kill him, right? In fact, he's going to make every effort to go kill him. Herod doesn't want to go worship, but he tells the Magi to go find him and come back and tell him. But God warns the Magi in a dream not to go back to the king, and so they go home a different way. They obey God rather than man, and that's an important thing to learn about these guys. In a lot of ways, they're an example for us. One quick note before we wrap this part up. These Magi probably didn't arrive in the presence of Jesus on the same night the shepherds did. Right? So if, if you have a nativity set at your house and you want to be precise biblically and you've got three wise men in your nativity set, you should probably place them on the east side of your house somewhere far away from the manger. If you've got shepherds and, and, and stuff at the manger, put the wise men on the other side of the house or maybe dig them out in March and, and, and bring, them, bring them in. They probably weren't there on that same night. They found him in a house, right? Not in a manger. The text says they found him in a house. Pay attention, this is on the quiz. They, they found him in a house. And we know that when Herod finally figures out what has happened, he doesn't say, go and kill all the infants in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. He says, go and kill all the male children two years old and younger, right? So it seems like the implication is there's some time that has elapsed between when Jesus is born and when the Magi arrive. So put them on the east side of the house and you'll be biblically accurate. What I want you to notice, though, first of all, for our time today is that God drew these men, these magi, these wise men from far away, from far away to worship the Lord in his earliest days. God used stars. He used ancient prophecy. He used exiled Jews. He used even an evil king to get these men to the place to worship the newborn king. I want you to learn from this that Jesus came for those who were far away, he came for those who are not part of Abraham's family tree. In fact, we see this even in Jesus' family tree, as outlined by Matthew. You may know the family tree of Jesus. You may know the lineage of Jesus. You may know the genealogy of Jesus from a song that is, in, that is part of Behold the Lamb of God, right? A song that Matt Hall will sing on next Sunday night at 6 p.m. in this room. He will sing Matthew's begats. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Judah and his kin. He will sing that song accompanied by Noah Stearns on harmonica and Todd Drone on the upright bass along with the host of heaven or the rest of the music team, right? They'll sing that song and you'll be familiar with the lineage of Jesus. I want us to look closely at the genealogy of Jesus today in Matthew chapter 1. So you just turn back a page. You'll notice, if you look through the genealogy of Jesus, there are a few peculiar names. In fact, there are the names of a few women sprinkled in. And each of those women has an interesting story. And we could spend, in fact, I think this is what Pastor Joe preached about in Ridgeway today, was the interesting story of each of these women in the genealogy of Jesus. But I don't want necessarily to focus on their interesting story but one thing that all of these women have in common is that they were outsiders. 
these women that are mentioned, except, except for Mary, she's the exception, but these other four women that are, that are mentioned were outsiders. They were not from the people of Israel. Two of them certainly not from the people of Israel, but all four of them arguably not from Abraham's descendants. Tamar was probably a Gentile. We're not certain about this, but she was probably a Gentile, a Canaanite woman. You can read about her in Genesis chapter 38, and it's this whoa, weird, convoluted story um, uh, uh, that has uh, something to do with leveret marriage that we talked about on Sunday night last week, where she was married to one of Judah's sons, but he died before uh, they had children, and so she was given to one of his other sons, and he didn't want to fulfill the obligation that he had. Anyway, it was this whole long story, and then she ended up tricking her father-in-law into uh, fathering a child with her, uh, actually two children, Perez and, and Zerah. Um, whew, it's messy. It's super messy, but that's part of the lineage of Jesus. We will sing, Matt will sing on Sunday night, then Perez and Zerah from Judah's woman Tamar, right? So Tamar is in the lineage of Jesus, even though she was this outsider Canaanite woman. Then we have Rahab, Rahab the harlot, who was a Gentile, right? A Canaanite woman who was a prostitute. Remember, she helped the spies who were scoping out Jericho, that city that the Lord was giving to his people in the conquest of the promised land. You may know about the battle of Jericho because the walls came a-tumbling down, right? You remember that part of the story. And for her kindness, for her goodness to the spies, she was spared in the battle that was coming, and she was also welcomed in to the people of God. She was an outsider who was brought in to the family, and she ends up in the lineage of Jesus here. So there's outsiders, not just descendants of Abraham, but Canaanite prostitutes are included in the lineage of Jesus here. You can read about her story in Joshua chapter 2 through Joshua chapter 6. And then we come to Ruth. Ruth was clearly a Gentile, a Moabite woman from a people group who were enemies of Israel. And you know the beautiful story of her devotion to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and the amazing grace that she received from Boaz, who was her kinsman redeemer. She's got a whole book of the Bible, right? The whole book of Ruth is dedicated to her story. And what you know is that she is the great-grandmother of King David. So here's an outsider, one who is far away, who is brought in by grace into the family of God and used in major ways to bring about the birth of the Messiah. She is the great-grandmother of King David. Then we come to Bathsheba. Bathsheba was likely a Gentile, at least by background. She is noted in the scriptures as the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Hittites are con consistently mentioned as those people from whom the children of Israel were to remain distinct and separated. Now, at the time, it was all mixed up, but she was an outsider. Bathsheba was an outsider. Scandalously, you know the story of David's infidel infidelity with her and his sin against the Lord, but she's brought in, right? She's brought in, and we can read about her story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here's what I want you to see from those four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. All of these women were outsiders. They were far away, far off, and yet they each serve as an integral part of the Christmas story, the, the mission of salvation that is the Christmas story. Can you see, as we talk about this, 
Can you see that God is not just concerned about Abraham and his descendants, but all kinds of people, even those who are far away? Listen, if you can see that, it should stir you up a bit because most of us in this room are outsiders like that. We are those who are far away. We are the ones who are far away. And yet Jesus came to rescue us as well. He came to save us from our sins as well. Look at how Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. In fact, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to spend some time there. Ephesians chapter 2. I don't hear very many pages turning. Are you all electronic today? That's fine. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 11. Again, we're talking about the mission of God, sending Jesus to save his people from their sins, his people not being limited to the descendants of Abraham, to the Jewish people, but reaching to the far ends of the earth, even to the Gentiles. Right? Even to those who are far away. We see it in the Magi, we see it in the women, and we see it in the new covenant in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Like, let's just stop there and say, he says, remember that you were far away. You were hopeless and you were helpless. You were not insiders. You were outsiders. That's what he says to the church there and then read on in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Catch that? You were far off, but you've been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ, right? Why did Jesus come? He came to save his people from their sins. How did he do that? What was the method? By dying on the cross for their sins, by shedding his blood. You who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Read on, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Catch what's going on there? He says, through Jesus, through his death, he's brought those who are far off, near, by the blood of Jesus, and in so doing, he's made them, the ones who are far off, and those who are near, the Gentiles and the Jews, he's made them into one new man, one new family under Christ. So it's no longer, oh, I'm a Jew, or oh, I'm a Gentile. It's no, we are Christians together. Made one new family and broke down the barrier of dividing wall. He's brought horizontal peace by his blood. And not only that, but he says, verse 16 and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. So it's not just about bringing these two groups together as one new family, but reconciling them to the Father through the cross. This is good news, right? Those who are far off are brought near, brought near to the family of God and brought near to the presence of God. How? By the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to save his people from their sins. How? By giving his life as a sacrifice. It is the cross of Christ that reconciles us to God. 
reconciles us to each other. Read on. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Most of us in this room are Gentiles by background. We cannot trace our lineage to Abraham, and yet we who are far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus came to rescue, to save his people from their sins, and his people include folks from every tribe and tongue and nation. So there is hope for us, and there is hope for the whole world through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we laid hold of that hope by faith. We lay hold of the hope that is in Christ by faith. In fact, while we're in Ephesians chapter 2, we can't, we can't just read verse 11 and follow. We've got to read verses 1 to 10, right? You can't be in Ephesians chapter 2 and not read chapter 2, 1 through 10, can you? It's like the most concise statement of the gospel anywhere in Scripture. Look what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Oh, my prayer is that God will use that text to bring people to life today. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not from yourself. It's a gift from God. It's good news. Good news, not just for those who are descendants of Abraham. Not, not just good news for those who are given the law and the sacrifices and the prophets and all of those things. This is good news for the whole world. He came not just for those who are near, but also for those who are far off. That's where Paul goes next in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. He also talks about this in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, you can turn there, it'll be on the screen. Starting in verse 6, Paul teaches the church at Galatia, even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was justified, not by the works that he did, but by the faith that he had. Abraham believed God, and that was reckoned as righteousness. Therefore, Paul goes on and says, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. All right, this is a little bit abstract. But what he's getting at here is that to be in the covenant, in the covenant with God, like Abraham was, it's not a matter of physical descent, it's a matter of like faith. 
right? How do, you, how do you lay hold of the promises that were given to Abraham? Not by tracing your lineage back to him, but by trusting the Lord like he did. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, for foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. It was not the background of Abraham that mattered in his justification. It was the faith of Abraham that mattered in his justification. He was justified by faith. It's not the background of any man today that matters, Jew or Gentile. What matters is faith. We are justified by faith. And so I ask you and invite you, beg you even, repent and believe today. Repent and believe today. Be welcomed in, into the people of God, into the family of God, into the promises and the hope that is found in Christ alone. Repent and believe today and be saved. That's application number one. It's what we need to hear most. Repent and be saved. Because as it stands right now, in your natural condition, you are hopeless. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Why? Because God is holy. He is holy and just and must punish sin. And you and I are sinful. Deep in our core, we are sinful, and so we do sinful things all the time, and we deserve his wrath and judgment forever and ever. And he would be right. He would be right to condemn us all. But he is full of love, right? And so he made a way for the sinful man to be reconciled to himself through his own son. He sent him to die in our place, to die on the cross for our sins, and to rise again in victory over sin and death and hell. And Christ offers us victory. He offers us salvation. He offers us forgiveness, reconciliation to God. He offers that to us as a gift, a gift of grace that we receive by faith. We receive this by believing, by trusting, not by being born into a certain family, not by doing a bunch of works of the flesh, but by trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. We are justified by faith like Abraham was. So repent and believe today. And be saved. That's application number one. Application number two is be grateful. Gentiles, especially. Outsiders, especially. Be grateful that Jesus came for those who are far off because you and I are those who are far off. We are outsiders who have been welcomed in by grace as a gift. And because that's true, there's no room for pride. There's no room for us to act like we're insiders. There's no room for us to act like we deserve grace from God. We deserve to be part of the family of God. There's no room for pride. There's certainly no room for anti-Semitism. There's no, there's no room for us to scoff at those who are descendants of Abraham. No, no, no. It is with humility that we must admit and recognize that we are wild olive branches that have been grafted into this cultivated tree. We are receiving blessings that are not ours naturally. They are only ours supernaturally. And so we need to proceed with humility and be thankful. Be grateful that Jesus came for those who are far off because you and I are those who are far off. And then the last application I want to make is maybe the most important. We must go and we must send to the far places on the earth. He didn't just come for those who were near. He didn't just come for those who were close by. 
He, he didn't just come for those who are descendants of Abraham. He came for those who are far, far away. And so we must go to the far places, and we must send messengers to the far places. John Piper famously said, there are only three kinds of Christians when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and disobedient. May God deliver us from disobedience. I think he's on to something there. Only three kinds of Christians when it comes to world missions. You're either a zealous goer, a zealous sender, or you're disobedient. And I always forget that, that Piper said that last part. May God deliver us from disobedience. I hope that he will deliver us from disobedience, that we will be zealous goers. In fact, we've got some zealous goers. Zealous goers have got a new baby. Zealous goers who just, uh, just this past week uh, were voted on to go back to the field. There's one more vote to happen, which is a slam dunk, no, no problem there, uh, to go back to the field as official representatives of the IMB, official missionaries of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, officially your missionaries to the nations. They are zealous goers, and the O family is exactly the same way, zealous goers, and there are 3,500 other zealous goers. Some of you are zealous goers. Maybe not to the furthest places on the planet, but to your neighbors, to your coworkers, and to your friends. And maybe some of you have been wrestling with this, I gotta go. I, I, I've gotta go. I've gotta go to the nations. How, how do I do that? How do I become a goer like the T's or the O's? How do, I, how do I get connected to go to the nations to declare the hope of the gospel where no one is declaring the hope of the gospel right now? How do I do that? The best way to do that is through the International Mission Board. In my role as a trustee, I'm seeing everyone, every worker that we are sending right now, out right now, I get to see who they are. And it's crazy the kind of people that we're sending out right now. It's not all just young families. It's not all just single folks. It's not all young folks. We are sending out all kinds of people. In fact, the number of retirees that we are sending out to the nations to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is overwhelming right now and super encouraging. Maybe that's what you need to do with your life. Maybe you've worked a career and you've worked hard and you've got it made now and you could put it in neutral and coast to the finish line. Maybe that's not the best way to get there. Maybe the best way to get there is to sell everything you own here, move to some foreign place and invest your life in sharing the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. Or maybe you're a young person young person uh, getting ready to go off to college or maybe just graduating college and not sure what you want to do, what you should do, what you can do. Man, give two years. Give two years to the nations. Give two years to go to the ends of the earth and spread the gospel message. I, I, I want us to really consider as we think about Jesus coming for those who are far off, who's next to go? Who's next among us to go? And there's not a cookie cutter for that. There's not a singular type of person that goes. All of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ are qualified. All of us are capable. We've got the gospel and we've got the spirit. We're capable to go to the nation. So who's next? Who's next to be a zealous goer? Maybe it's you. I think, I think sometimes I raise that question and you're like, yeah, Chris, I wonder who's next. And you, and you kind of look around, you're like, hmm, who's, who's the next one of these people out here who are going to do this? I want you to consider if you're next. Maybe you're the next one. 
Could be. Could be. Be a zealous goer or be a zealous sender. We talk a lot about Lottie Moon Christmas offering at this time because it's the best mechanism to be a zealous sender. It's the most efficient way to support those who are going to the ends of the earth with the gospel. 100% of the money you give to Lottie Moon goes right to support work like the T's are doing, like the O's are doing, like directly. None of it gets bogged down in any administration. It all goes to the field. Be a zealous sender by giving with generosity to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Be a zealous sender by holding the ropes for the O's and the T's, by taking care of them and providing for them, by praying for them, by partnering with them, by supporting them in every way that we can. First Baptist Church does a great job of this. And there's always room for improvement. There's always room for growth. Will we be zealous goers? Will we be zealous senders? Or will we be disobedient? Lord, deliver us from disobedience. Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you came for those who were far off because we were far off. We were outsiders who have only been welcomed in by grace. Give us gratitude for that. Give us a sense of humility and give us a passion to go to the far places, to take the message of hope to the far places. Help us to be zealous senders of those who are going to the far places, knowing that you came, Lord Jesus, for those who are far away. So make us zealous goers, zealous senders. Guard us from disobedience. Give us gratitude and humility as we live for you. And we recognize even in this room, there are those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. They've not been welcomed in. They're still far off. They're still outside. Lord, teach them, these men and women and boys and girls who are on the outside, that you, that you came for the outsiders. That Jesus died for those who are far off, that they might be brought near by his blood. Teach them in ways that only you can about your own holiness and their utter sinfulness. Teach them as only you can about the sacrifice of Jesus in their place. And grant them as only you can the gift of faith to trust in Christ, the gift of repentance to turn away from sin, the gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. Grant this so that you will receive glory glory that you are due from every man, woman, boy and girl on the planet. We pray all this in Christ's name.